risking it all. It was a word that was used for those who nursed the seriously sick and buried the dead. It was a word that was used of merchants that chanced death for the sake of material gain. It was a word that was used who risked their lives in advocating for a friend before an emperor. Epaphroditus was God's gambler. He risked it all. When you read a passage of that like scripture, I was thinking to myself, what am I risking? I want you to listen with me. What am I risking for the souls of men, the good of the church, and the glory of God? What am I risking for the souls of men, the good of the church, and the glory of God? Playing it safe is really death to God's work. I want to get you excited this morning because I want to let you know you've been commissioned. Okay. And who here has been in the military? Raise your hand. Have you been in the military? Okay. So you have commissioned officers and you have non-commissioned officers. When I was in Green Beret in the military, I was a non-commissioned officer. I was a sergeant and I took orders from the commissioned officer and what they told you to do, you did. I remember on one uh, particular mission, they would never tell us where we were going. They would only say, get your hot bag or your cold bag. And so we would always guess what country that we were going into because we never knew. And back then it was the Cold War. The Iron Curtain was up. And um, we'd always guess, well, if it was a seven-hour flight or eight-hour flight, we are probably in Europe. And so we'd be guessing all the time what country they would send us. And this particular flight we were on, there was the head of the commander of the Green Berets and the and Air Force general on the flight. So it was about an eight-hour flight, and we were right in the middle of a really terrific storm and lightning all around, and we were laughing to ourselves because we knew, well, we're not jumping today. Well, the Air the Air Force General looked at the head of the Green Berets and said, what do you think? He said, oh no, my boy's jumping any weather. I was like, what? <laughs> my boy's jumping any weather. So here we go. The back of the plane opens up and it is just lightning and raining and we are scared to death. And inside, of course, not showing it. <laughs> but there's a bundle there and there was a small pilot chute. And once that pilot chute went out the back of the plane, it dragged that bundle out the plane. And the game was to try to chase the bundle out the, out the plane. So you're outside the plane and, and uh, open up your parachute and you are soaking wet. And um, it was very foggy and rainy and really hard rain. And, and so now we know, well, we've got to be careful that we don't die landing. And so it's at night, of course, and you can't see anything. But, you know, dark, dark is trees. Light, dark is better for landing. And so as we're coming down, um, we're hearing this hum and we're like, Wait, what is that all about? And the first guy that jumped out, I was in the middle, and he yells, Autobahn. Okay, so they had put us out over the Autobahn accidentally, and uh, we were 22 miles off course. And so, and so the first guy comes down, and he hits right on the edge of the Autobahn. Well, I'm thinking, I'm not doing no Autobahn, so I'm, I go way left, I remember, and I'm going towards that dark trees. I'm like, oh boy, here we go. So as you're, as you're coming in, I'm bracing for the worst, because you really can't see. And as I hit, I hit my feet and then right into a side of a hill they had just sprayed with cow manure uh, for fertilizer. And I hit my face right into that hill 
And the first thought I thought, can I break my face? And I, the thought is, yes, you can break your face. And by God's grace, I didn't bust my face, just bruised it. And, you know, we got up and uh, we met the CIA on the ground and we started training for the mission. So um, what was interesting is you had to take orders from the commissioned officer, right? That's your job. You're a non-commissioned officer. You have to take orders. What's fascinating is that Christ commissioned us for the gospel. Think about that. The God of all heavens commissioned us for the gospel. I want you to read that in the slide. Thank you, Dee. Matthew, you're familiar with the verses. There's five verses. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. If you could back up one slide to the beginning of that. So, we have a, com- we have a commission from God especially when you're wondering, what should I do with my life? What am I even here for? Think about this. You've been commissioned by the God of all creation with the gospel. And the day that you were saved is the day that you were commissioned. That's what God gave to you. Now think about this. Jesus, did he win everybody to Christ while he was on earth? No. Did everybody know about him? No. Very few people knew about him. And so... He left that work for you and me. That was his job. But it's interesting. Um, the, the good news for you and me is that he left it to ordinary people. Amen? Are we ordinary or what? This is great. This is a great sign for us. And he gives us that responsibility of every Christian to share that message because you've been commissioned as a spokesperson. Can you think of some famous evangelists? you got Billy Graham and you got D.L. Moody and George Whitfield, and sometimes we think, well, those were the evangelists. Well, not really. I mean, Jesus' plan was you. He only had one plan. And that plan is you. We're going to look at that today and see what that looks like. In your, you got your bulletin, right? Everyone got a bulletin when they came here? Has anyone, I want you to grab your bulletin and turn the back there, because I want you to write something on it, but Think about this. Who here has run track in, in high school or college? Grade? Okay, a few track stars, former track stars, okay. And so the fun thing about it is, has anyone ever run the 440? Okay, a couple. So what happens? Well, you take the baton, right? You got the baton, and you're taking that, and you're running just like the pe- the horses on the pony especially just running to pass that baton off to the next person right that's what the lord has in store for us he's given you that baton that commissioning the gospel that lives inside of you that life-saving message to give to somebody else i want you just to write two names in there right now let me give you an example i was i've been uh Reaching out to my neighbor, Lonnie, I've been in this neighborhood for about maybe 10 years. And I remember when I first moved to the neighborhood, um, I did a, a block party and got to know some of the people. 
And I haven't met Lonnie yet. He's a banker. I don't know his last name. And I've been talking with him for about a year every time I go by his house. And so Lonnie comes up to me and says, Hey, he said, uh, I know you work for a church. My, uh, my dad's dying. Can you pray for him? I'm like, sure. So we prayed for his dad and um, started a little relationship. He's like, hey, maybe you can come over sometime for coffee. And, and I said, well, I'd like to tell you and at least discuss what happens when you die. Where, where, does your, where do we go? Because his dad had passed away. He said, you know, I'd really enjoy that. I would really like that. So I've got Lonnie on my list. Why? Because I want to, I want you to roll it up again. Just roll it up. And I just want you to hold up. This is the baton. This is the baton that you are passing to other people. It has to have some names on it that you can begin to pray so that you can pass that life-saving message on to somebody else. God isn't planning on great evangelists. He's planning on you guys being the great evangelists. This is our job. This is our commissioning. So, Jesus did what? Well, he used ordinary people, right? And he used people that he just had a relationship with. I know many of you have started groups in your homes, and, and it's just those people that you invite from your workplace. Acts seventeen twenty six says that God picks the exact place where you should live. Think about that. He picks the exact place where you should live. That means the exact place you should work. Because that's where he wants you to pass that baton on. Right? It's why we're here. Right? Time is flying by. The good news is, in verse 16, then the eleven disciples, well, hold on, I thought there were twelve. Yeah, well, one got his hand in the money bag and he's gone. But the bottom line, this is so great. Um, Verse 17, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Isn't that refreshing? Now, They saw him do miracles. They're talking to the resurrected Jesus. And they saw changed lives. And guess what? Some doubted. Okay? So they didn't doubt the message. They doubted the messenger themselves. And they doubted. Should I share this? And have we all had that experience? Like, Lord, are you really calling me to share the gospel to that guy who asked me what my Bible is for at work? (laughs) Do you really? Do you really want? No, I don't think he wanted me to share him. I think that was for somebody else. And often we just explain that away, right? We think, well, that's really not for me. You know, I'm not really a Bible guy or a Bible woman. I just, I know the Lord's going to use somebody else. Well, the good news is Jesus doesn't boot us out of the family. We just missed an opportunity. He's going to use someone else in the family, right? But it matters that we're able to pass that baton. But he uses flawed people. Isn't that refreshing? Very refreshing. I know in my own life, I think all the times I wanted to share, and I talked myself out of it. Have you ever talked yourself out of sharing the gospel? It's not very hard, okay? Um, We're pretty convincing. And so, he used ordinary people. And it's funny, when you go to Rome or Europe, what do you see? You see these statues of the apostles, and they got the halos on their head and all that. No, no, no. They're just regular people, just like you and me. That's who Jesus wants to use. He just wants to use us. Just regular people. Ordinary people. People that doubt. Can you imagine seeing change life, miracles in front of your eyes and then just doubting? No, he can't do that. So, Jesus is looking to use people just like us. 
It's very encouraging. But he gives us a plan. And really in five verses, we're going to look at the plan, okay? You're familiar with the verses. And he says that um, in the beginning of the plan, which is very comforting, he asks us to, um, that he commissioned us, number one, and then he wants us to duplicate our lives in front of other people. He says, go make disciples, meaning go make learners, people, you're supposed to duplicate yourself to other people. Okay? Now, we're not perfect. And remember, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, Paul says, follow me as I follow the example of Christ. So, people need to follow you. Think about this at the workplace when someone's thinking about getting a divorce and you are the only voice that's different. And you say, you know, you did make a covenant before God and you really should seek His word and some counsel before you just bust it up. And all their other friends are saying all the same thing. Oh man, dump him, dump her. You deserve to be happy. When in reality, you may only be the voice of reason. Right? In the workplace. So you should stand out. Why? Because you want people to follow you. You want people to follow you. And really, you're a leader. Not that you have to know everything about the Bible, but you're leading out in the way to the Lord. There's one word for leadership. A lot of, it's like, well, it's people need to, you need to lead and be a good example. No, that's what a leader does. Well, you need to lead and, and, um, and teach people. Well, that's what a leader does. The really one word for leadership is influence. Influencing other people's lives. That's what a real leader is. And that's what God, when He commissions you, that's what He's asking you to do. Some of you play board games. On the inside of the board game, what is in there? Instructions, that's right. And they're not, it's not how to lose the game, right? Why are we reading the instructions? How to kill it, how to just win this thing, okay? And the same thing is, this is the message of the Great Commission. He's showing us how to win the game. How to win, this is his plan. Not how to lose. How fast is time flying? Amen? How fast is time flying? So he wants us to duplicate our life. And he wants us then to be able to share the gospel without fear. Let me show you what I mean. He says, if you can go to the next slide, D. Uh, back up. Uh, yeah, back up one slide. Look at verse 18. Then Jesus came to him and said, All authority... And heaven on earth has been given to me. What's that mean? Well, often we don't share with those people that are very difficult. And we're thinking, that person's never going to come to Christ. I will never be able to convince that person. Or that person is, hates God so much, I could never tell them a message that they would even believe. We're forgetting what the Lord said. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given up to him. So, he is able, remember, you are just giving the message, right? And you're the messenger. He's the author and perfecter of life. He does the changing of the heart. There's a great verse in Acts 16, and Paul was walking down by the river, and he was looking for a synagogue, which was about ten people. And he found a group of women over there praying, and so he went down there and sat with them, and, and he listened to them, and... Um, there was Lydia, who was a dealer in purple from the town of Tyathira, and she was a worshiper of God. Now listen carefully. She was a worshiper of God, worshiping the Lord. 
but God didn't know her. It's fascinating. Paul gave a message, and it says, The Lord opened Lydia's heart, and she believed. It's his work, not your work. We're just the messengers. We're like that Pony Express ripping across, right? We're the messengers with that life-saving message trying to get there in time, right before someone dies. Remember what? When Jesus asked his disciples, he said, And Peter, who do you think, who do you say that I am? And what did Peter say? You are the Christ. And then Jesus said, Yes, our Father has revealed that to you. Okay, so whose work is it? It's his work, not your work. But you are the messenger. He wants you to take that baton. And he's asking you and pleading with you to do what? To pass it along. To pass that baton along. Are you doing the work that you've been commissioned for? And, and so it's interesting. When I'm on a plane and I'm just talking to people, I'm beginning to pray so I can share the gospel with the person next to me. So, when they ask me, what do you do? I say, well, um, I work with people. And I'm trying to avoid the fact that I'm a pastor. And I'll tell you why. So, they'll say, well, what do you do? And I say, well, you know, we help the blind see. (laughs) You know, oh, we, and we, um, you know, we work with people and try to, and you're really stumbling over your words. Because as soon as you say you're a pastor, they go, oh, you're a pastor. You're paid to tell people. About the gospel. That's what they tell me. You're not paid to tell people about the gospel. You have a greater opportunity than I do. I'm sharing all the time, but often because I'm a pastor, it's a stumbling block. People say, well, that's for you. You're a pastor. That's your job. (laughs) That's what you do. But the reality of it is, is that you don't have that problem. Think of how many more people you could reach. Right? Remember Acts 17, 26? He picks the exact place where you should live. And so he's planning, he placed you there on purpose so that what? You can share the gospel. Remember, you are more than just members of Coronado Baptist Church. God isn't thinking, oh, I'm going to get Coronado to do it. No, he's thinking, I'm going to get the members of this church to share the gospel. Does that make sense? So, here's the greatest part. Jesus doesn't tell us how to share it. He doesn't have this narrow way how you've got to share the gospel. Not at all. There's a lot of freedom. So when I first got to my neighborhood, I had a block party. A block party, And to be honest, I was a bit overboard, okay? And I thought it was my job to share Christ with about 50 people that came that night, okay? And I was a bit overzealous, okay? But here's the thing. They did know that I was a believer, and they knew where I lived. Okay, so my neighbor, Don, dies. And he's lost. He doesn't, and his daughter came up to me and said, Don said you were a church man. Would you do my dad's funeral? I said, I'd love to. So found out Don's last name, and uh, I had shared Christ with him, but he had not yet become a believer. So um, at the funeral, we were at a funeral I think Martin's funeral home. And as we were in there, I was doing the funeral for Don. And I opened the mic up, which was my biggest mistake. And I said, would anyone like to say anything about Don? And I didn't know Don very well. And so there was like 20 people that stood up in line. I thought, wow, we're going to be here all day. 
And they all said the same thing. I was there that day when Don won the $6,000 down at the horse track. I couldn't believe it. I was going to bet on that horse, and I didn't bet on the horse. And everybody's talking about the $6,000 that Don won. I was like, oh, my gosh. So halfway through, I had to kind of cut it off. I said, I think we got life, Don's life story, okay? And I think we know the high point, and uh, we're grateful for that. Thank you for sharing. And I thought, I just gotta, I'm just going to stop this funeral and share the gospel. So I spent 20 minutes presenting the gospel. Half the people stood up out of their chairs and said, I want Christ. Amen. So it wasn't the block party that day, but they just knew that I was a believer and they came and got me. Okay, so they may, once they know you're a believer, they know you're a little bit different. Okay, and so they're going to come and talk to you when they struggle. Does that make sense? So make it known that you're different. Make it known that you're a commissioned officer of God's army. And that he's, you're on mission to do what? It's interesting. What did Epaphroditus do? And it's, it's, I'm thinking this question. What are you risking for the souls of men, the good of the church, and the glory of God? What are you risking for the souls of men, the good of the church, and the glory of God? Are you risking anything? Think about that. He's commissioned us. Time is flying. People are open with the COVID. Amen? People are dying. People are very much more open to the gospel. You've got to pass that baton on. You know, we go to, we do lots of things at church to bring the gospel to people. I was just looking up at Dom here. And Dom, one of our worship leaders, he got saved at the Great Glory Crusade. You know, and we took, we've been, right, Dom? At the Great Glory Crusade. Let's get it for Brother Dom. Amen, amen, amen. All right. God saved at the Great Glory Crusade. How many years ago was it, Dom? 2015. He remembers. Okay, amen, amen. A lot of people have been building his life, but he went to crusade. He dedicated his life to the Lord. One time, Pastor Mike and I were bored, and we thought, let's see how many people we could take to the Great Glory Crusade. And... It's like, okay. So, um, we really didn't check on the cost of anything, but we were just excited that we would take a lot of people. And so, um, our goal was 200 people. Well, in the end, we took 98 people. I think you were on the bus. Okay, 98 people. And um, we decided uh, every family had to bring a non-believer. So, we get two buses. And I said, hold on, hold on. I said, "Uh, Pastor Mike, I want you to get dressed up as a bum... And I want you to hold a sign that says, go into California. And he's like, this is great. So he got a wig and a hat with those Mod Squad glasses. Okay, he's got the big glasses on. And he's standing on the side of Mesa, picture past Mike, hitchhiking, right? I've got witnesses here. Hitchhiking that said, heading to California. Okay. And so I get on the, I'm yelling on the bus, I'm on the loudspeaker, what do you think? Should we pick up this guy going to California? And everyone's screaming, no, the guy's a bum, don't be picking him up, don't be picking him up. And I said, the Holy Spirit said pick him up. So we're picking him up. And so we pull over the side of the road and we pick up Pastor Mike, okay? And he said when he was walking to Mesa, other people on the sidewalk and they crossed the road when they saw him coming, okay? And he looked, he looked really good. And so... Um, so he takes off his wig and his hat and he goes, hey, and no one recognized him. <laughs> he didn't have a suit on. I said, that's Pastor Mike. He's going with us to Gregory Crusade. So, and I remember one man too, he, he had, you know, 
he had a 12-pack the night before, and he had the last one for breakfast. You know, and he came on the bus, and I don't know if you remember that, but this guy came to protect his Muslim buddy. That was, he didn't think he should get saved. And sure enough, um, that guy got saved. And that guy married a guy in our church, and he's on, and it's fascinating, you know. And, um, and he made a big mess on the bus and all that. We just overlooked it, tried to love on the guy. We're like, how much further is it to California? <laughs> and so, but, you know, we, we've done, we this block party kit available. If you want to invite your neighbors, we have, um, he didn't tell you the method, right? We've got crusades, we've got mission trips. Many of you have been on a mission trip, and often we get to share then, right, on the mission trip to bring people into the kingdom. But we don't want it to be just for mission trips, right? Because someday there's a guy like, like my neighbor that's dying, right? And he needs someone to talk to. And the people left behind need someone to talk to. Well, they're going to talk to the neighbor they know that's a believer, who's somebody different, because he's been commissioned by the Lord. He's looking for people like you and me. Is that true? What are we risking for the souls of men the good of the church and the glory of God. What are we risking for the souls of men, the good of the church and the glory of God? That's a, that's a weighty question. Epaphroditus said, I'm risking it all. I'm risking it all and I'm taking Paul in prison, the gift. Why? Because I care about my brother. One person trying to reach another brother to encourage him, risking his life. risking his life. So the Lord had a plan. He commissioned us for the service. He wants us to duplicate our life, um, believing that all authority has been given to him, not to us. And he never tells us specifically how to do it. He gives, he's very clear on the message, but he doesn't tell us the method. He wants to leave that up to us. Think about that. Think about what the Lord is asking you to do. It's fascinating. One of the things that my wife and I have been considering, because um, we both turned, my wife's 61, and, uh, and I turned 61 this year. I mean, I'm turning 61 uh, this next month in August. And we started thinking about what are we doing? Are we really risking our life for the souls of men? And so we prayed about it for nine months, and we began to... Um, see where the Lord had been working in our life and we wanted to join Him in His work. And we were going to be transitioning to training pastors in Kenya and in Nepal so that we can raise them up into uh, men and women of God that are leading the next generation. When we came here in 2003, we came down here as to, to lead youth and middle school and start college ministry and to start missions. And I had worked at two other churches in Montana. We lived there 20 years and we came down to El Paso so that we could... Um, I was bivocational up there, had our own business, and we worked part-time. Uh, there is no part-time work at church, just let you know. And so um, we were doing missions up there, and the Lord called us down here in 2003. When we came here... There was a small amount of money in the youth budget, and I said, Mike, do you just want us to you know, sit around the campfire, sing Kumbaya, or do you want us to go do ministry? And he's like, what do you mean? I said, well, there's no money in the budget. 
He said, well, how much money do you need? I said, I need $30,000. If we're going to do anything with the youth, we need $30,000. He said, let me go talk to the elders. So he goes and talks to the elders. And the elders said, give it to him. Give him 30000 So we got started with youth and lots of outreaches and stuff like that within El Paso. And then Mike said, well, when are you taking him on a trip? And I said, well, there's no money in the budget. He said, I just gave you 30000 I said, Mike, that was for youth ministry, not youth missions. He said, well, how much money do you need for that? I said, I need 30000 And he said, let me go talk to the elders. So Mike goes and talks to the elders. And the thinking of it was, the church pays a third, the parents pay the third, and the, and the kids pay a third. That's how we divide it up. So, Pastor Mike said, okay, you can, uh, there were very few youth here when we got here. And our first mission trip, uh, that year we took 52 people to Guatemala. Why? Because they saw the church had a part in the mission. Your giving had a part in the mission. And, and we took 52 to Guatemala, we took 69 the next year to, to Costa Rica, and so some of the parents that went along said, hey, when is there a trip for us? And I said, Mike, they're talking. He goes, what do you mean? He said, I gave you money for missions. I said, that was youth missions. I'm talking family missions. He said, well, how much is that? I said, that's 50000 He said, you need $50,000 for family missions. I said, we really do. And so Pastor Mike was very, he saw the value of missions in the life of the church. And he said, Talked to the elders. Elders said, give it to him. And that's when we started family missions. We sent 32 people we took down to Belize. And it all started going. And if you look in the gym, from when we came, and many leaders have taken people, over 3,000 people have gone from this church on a mission trip abroad trying to change lives. And um, my wife didn't want to come today because she said it was too emotional. But So we're going to be here till the end of August. And then in August we're transitioning to will be missionaries sent from this church to uh, help Reverend Chumo out in Africa, train his people, and training leaders, and in Nepal, training leaders. And one of the things in Nepal we're building is a community center, which is about um, maybe 1,200 square feet. And we're going to be building these in villages that were, uh, after the earthquake, the Christians went in and fixed them to try to build some favor. And in that village... In these villages, one of the things that, if you're hiking in western Nepal especially, when you come to a village, there's no women in the village. All of them have been sold by their parents because they don't have money for a dowry, they'll never get married, and they um, are sold to people from India for the house of prostitution for $100, and they're gone for life. So we'll be going in and teaching them tailoring so that when they go back to their village, we'll give them a sewing machine and they'll have training so that they can make a living for their life. But on the weekend, guess what that training center is? A church. And so we want to build into the kingdom of God. If you look, if you Google what's the fastest country in the world, I don't know, do we have a slide for that, D? What's the fastest country in the world where the gospel is moving? percentage-wise, and it's in Nepal. If you look on the chart, 10.93%. It's the fastest in the world. So when my wife and I have gone over to teach the pastors, we asked, isn't that interesting, Saudi Arabia, Qatar? Why in Qatar? Because people from South and Central America are moved to Qatar to work in the hotels, and guess what they bought with them? 
the gospel, okay? They brought the gospel with them, and it's ripping in Qatar, okay? We fly through there to get to Nepal. The, it's amazing, though, in Nepal, when we do the pastor's conferences, 50, 60 pastors, they lay on the ground, husbands and wives, different on for waiting for us to get there. When we get there, they don't want us to eat, and they don't want us to go to the bathroom. We go, like, oh, hold on here. They go, we've come over the Himalayas, we go down to these small churches, and they say, everything you teach us, we will be teaching for the next year. They have literally held my wife's feet and said, please don't go. We don't know. One pastor, I talked to him, I said, what do you, I said, why are you a pastor? He said, someone bought me an audio Bible. He said, they made me the pastor of the church. He said, but Pastor Dan, every week I teach, I don't know if what I'm teaching is true. He said, can you teach us? So at 61, it's daunting. And so we have, you know, some people leave church because they resign from church because they've had a terrible time. We've been here 17 years and have loved it. You know, I always tell Pastor Mike, you and me, slip and slide, kick and glide, tooth and nail. Okay, we're together. We've been together 17 years. And now, uh, when I went to tell Pastor Mike that we would be resigning, guess what he said? He said, the Holy Spirit told me two weeks ago, you were resigning. And so let you go. So, he, he confirmed the call. He said, no, the Lord's leading you. You need to go. So, it's difficult because 17 years is a long time. Resigning during COVID, not the brightest things I've done. Okay. <laughs> okay. And, and as of August 31st, no income. So, those are some small things I've been praying about. <laughs> but, so, uh, we're going to leave end of August, go... For two weeks camping in Colorado, read some books, and then come back. And we'll raise support till, through the church. The church will allow us to raise support. And then in uh, December or January, we'll leave to begin. And we'll really be gone about six months out of the year. And we recently went to Nepal in March to see if we could live there. And we can't full-time because of the, uh, it's the second most polluted country in the world. And so it's very difficult to breathe. But my wife said, I could do four months here. And we could do several months in Kenya. So... We're looking at being gone about six months. We'll still be in town. We'll still be in a lot of your lives. But our new mission is to train, instead of a lot of people here, we'll be training leaders that can lead a lot of people. It's, you know, so it's a very different strategy. And when we're here, we're going to be building into them week after week, training them. They got miles of questions. When we do, do you have any questions? We save three hours for whenever we have those questions, you know, and just fascinating and we recently did that in Africa when we were there, and we did a pastor's conference, my wife and I. And so questions like this. One guy said, I came from a Muslim background. I had two wives, and one of my wives has become a believer. The other wife is still a Muslim. I'm a Southern Baptist pastor, and the Bible says in Timothy to be a pastor of one wife. What do I do with my other wife? Okay. Okay. These are the questions that they are asking over and over and over. These are real. These are real issues. And by God's grace, this church has sent my wife and I to seminary, and we've been trained, and we fumbled through that. Okay. Because <laughs> that's all I can do. These are difficult questions, right? And so you got to take the scriptures and 
And, and you've got to convince them of what God's word rather than culture. What's more important, what God's word says rather than culture, right? And so our, our advice to him was, Malachi 2, God says, I hate divorce because of what it does on children. And I said, if you've won one wife to the Lord, win another life, wife to the Lord. Keep her. Raise your, those children in the admonition of the Lord. And if she leaves, she leaves. If she stays, let her stay. But um, you will be able to, if you, to be a witness and live with peace because God is concerned for the children that you have. That you have. That's his main concern. It's the next generation. Remember, Christianity is only one generation from being extinct. God's very concerned about the children. And so, you know, uh, so it's those kind of questions. So we, we get to go these, we're blessed to get to go there, but there's rain, you know, and, and they want an answer for a 10-year-old problem in 30 seconds. And so it's a challenge. So we'll be going and we will be uh, building into their lives and still living in town, still living in our home. But our focus now is about the kingdom. Why? Because, think about yourself. What are you risking for the souls of men? The good of the church and the glory of God. Those are heavy questions. Not everyone gets to go. Believe me, it's difficult. It's difficult living, difficult travel. We're 61. But we want to go while we still can. And make a difference. And really pour into the lives of of people that are leaders that don't know anything. And so we really are going to be covering your prayers. But you know, of all the time we've been here at church, 17 years, on missions, we've never had to call a medevac. No one's ever been hurt seriously or killed. Thousands of people have gone because we have a praying church. And so... When I was telling someone that we were resigning, they go, well, is there still going to be mission trips next year? <laughs> I said, yes, there'll be the same mission trips next year. And really the money that the church puts towards the trip, like next year, you can go to Egypt, Thailand, uh, and Turkey, and Mexico, and San Antonio. The trips are $700, $795, and that includes flights, everything. So we're able to fund it so that lots of people can go. That's your giving, helping people go to carry the baton, right? But this is what the Lord is asking you. This is what the Lord is asking me. I mean, 20 years I got dirt on my face. And I'm standing before the Lord. And He says, what did you do with the gift that I gave you? What did you do with the gift that I gave you? Either you're sending or you're going. That's all. Because the gospel's real. Amen? He has commissioned every one of us. Every one of us. The work isn't just for us. You have more, you have more value from God's perspective, right? And, and the people, uh, you have an inroad that is unique that we don't have in leadership. So the Lord wants to use you. Plan, plan your next season to be a season full of adventure for the Lord. And you'll, I mean, to have someone come to the Lord is the most exciting thing that could ever, I mean, it would beat any Disney vacation, I promise you, okay? And not that those are bad, but you want to balance those out, right? You want to balance those out. I want to tell you, share one story that was probably our most difficult time. was once we had taken a team of youth to Africa. There was 32 of us, and we were there for three weeks, 21 days. As we were going down a dirt road, the top 10 killers from Kenya, 13 of their people, 
ambushed our bus, put machetes around the kids' necks, and said, we're going to kill you all. And so I, he had the M16. I had nothing. And so that was very bad. That's outgunned, okay? Just want to let you know that's very outgunned. So I just ran to the front of the bus, and I said, listen, pal, I've got all the money, which was only $300. It was at the end of the trip, thank God. I said, I've got all the money, and you could have it all. And then one of the youth in the back of the bus said, Pastor Dan, no one got my money. And I was like, okay, this is the wrong time to be honest, okay? <laughs> You're not helping me out here, pal. You're not helping me out, okay? And so, um, so by God's grace, uh, the women, they were on a different bus. These were just men. And the women were learning how to go to bathroom in the cornfields, and they got all these stickers on them, and they were delayed 25 minutes. So they would have hurt the women. And so... They left us alone, and they stole everything we had, and we, were, we left. What happened was, we, in that country, the police don't have vehicles. You have to get the police and bring them to you. So we went to the police, we bought them to us, and we're thinking, wow, this is a joke, you know? They, they scoured the area, found one of the bandits hiding in the weeds. They grabbed him. They were going to kill him in front of the kids. We told them, don't. And so they threw him in the back of a truck. And there's a thing called the FFU, which is a federal, uh, federal force unit. And what they do is they go to that person's parents and their family, and they go in and they start busting a bone in every family member's body until they tell them who else was involved in that incident. Within three days, everyone was caught. We were on a dirt floor, and a woman judge sentenced the whole group, to 20 years of hard labor. Three days. It was fascinating, the hand of God, how God was providential and didn't allow the girls to be hurt. And some of the boys were traumatized. And, you know, they told me all this Rambo smack about what they were going to do to the killers, you know, after it happened, okay? And what I saw was this, you know. Okay. I saw a little different picture, okay? And so they were... uh, But God's, you know, the church is a praying church. And when the church prays, God's word goes out there. And it's not void. And this is the picture of how God protects us as we go and takes his work. Now, not everyone's protected and people get killed. Amen, amen. But our church, 17 years, 3,000 people have gone. And no one's been injured. That's the hand of God. Amen. So there will be people to replace us. And that will continue. And it will only get better. But... Our heart is in this church, amen? And we have loved this church with everything. We've given it our all. My wife, for 12 years, has counseled women out of our home. And often, at 7 at night, I'm in the driveway because she's still counseling people. And I have to wait to eat until they're done because they could be doing something heavy. She has really been a backbone of of the singles and then counseling in our church and is a silent partner and has really been my right-hand woman and we have ministered together and she'll continue that. But what's fascinating is just the, the honor it's been for her to touch all those women's lives. And I mean, just to watch salvation and healing and trauma be healed, healed through the Word of God. What a blessing. What a blessing. So... I just want to say thank you that our church will be here to end August, so please don't avoid me, okay? (laughs) 
you can elbow me, okay? And my wife, and we'll be here. And uh, it's been a joy. And just to let you know, by God's grace, we'll be able to risk it all for the souls of men, the good of the church, and the glory of God. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the great commission. Thank you that you've commissioned us. Oh, Lord, help us not just leave our baton on the table. This is real business. This is our number one job. This is what you've asked us to do. Lord, help us to be faithful. And we know, Lord, when we're faithless, you're still faithful. But Lord, help us to be messengers that that can water and bring the seed so that you can open people's hearts and bring them into heaven. Time is flying by. Your return is near. Help us to live a life worthy to be counted. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen.